When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hear that podcast growling Mean and angry Hear those co-hosts shouting It's Dana and Jay Welcome into the Bengals live room edition of Hear That Podcast Ground, presented by Visa Network Working. For everyone, Paul Daner Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic, which you know because you came into the room, you can see our faces, you've probably done this before. So welcome in, good to have everybody. Jay, what's going on? Another week, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and uh, more fun, and I... I've recovered from Nashville, even though I think we both behaved Saturday night after the game. Friday night was a bit of an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you brought, you brought uh, you know, an entourage of people that were uh, adventure escalators, we might say. Uh, they, they, they made things even more adventurous. I, so I, I didn't have the, the crew in tow to, to make it like that, but you, you, you survived, so good for you. A lot of people didn't. No, no, they did not. And uh, it, I mean, it was it was really cool to see. I mean, kudos to to everyone that made that trip. We we I've kind of noticed it this year. Vegas was a really impressive traveling crowd. And it makes sense. It's a playoff game. They, they've won their, their first playoff game in 31 years or trying to win their first road playoff game ever. It's a short drive. But it, it still surprised me. It was it was a Bengal takeover on Broadway Friday night. It was really amazing to see. You know, Bengals fans, I felt like have always traveled fairly well. Um, I, even even in lean years, I would always notice how well they would travel. And I always thought then it was because everybody always said, oh, I didn't want to give any money to the Bengals. So, but I like to support the team. <laughs> so I like to go to road games, which is fine. Road trips are great and they're a big part of football. But I think what's happened now, the combination of loving the team and enjoying the travel aspect has really kind of taken over. But of course, honestly, I've never seen anything like the energy around this team right now. I mean, the way fans have, I mean, it's hard to say that this is anything other than the most beloved Bengals team. I think it trumps 05, particularly because of what's happened the last two weeks. But I think it's got to be the most beloved Bengals team since the one that went to the Super Bowl. I mean, we, and I don't know anything about that. I was eight, uh, but it's, I, it's just unbelievable what has happened over the course of this run. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think we're a little jaded because we, we view it as a job and you kind of get, you, you're removed from that fandom. You look at it more analytically. And my wife took a video uh, after the McPherson kicked the field goal to win. And she's kind of panning around in a circle in the upper deck. And she comes to my son, who's 21, and he's never known a Bengals winner. Um, and he is literally bawling. He is wiping his eyes, using his blanket to rub, to try to dry his eyes. It's just sometimes you forget how much passion and how much 
football means to these people. And I, I just think it's great that, that all these fans that have gone through all the lean years are, are getting to enjoy this run however long it lasts. I mostly love that you just referred to your son as these people. <laughs> you mean Braden? He's one of them. He yeah, yeah, he's one of them. <laughs> he's one of them. Yeah, yeah. No, everybody that's been here, it's been fun. We're, you know, we're seeing it now in these libraries we've been doing, uh, joking with the people that you know helped create this program that we're using now. It's fairly new for those that don't know. I mean, we're only months into this thing being used. We had one of the biggest ones ever last week and it was afterwards they immediately said, that's what our engineers like to call a stress test. <laughs> How many people can handle because yeah, this is what you guys have created. Uh, you guys have created one of the biggest followings for these things as the games have gotten bigger. The crowds here have gotten bigger. So uh, with that said, you're here because uh, you don't need to hear us blather on anymore. You have questions. We're going to try to get to them. Bengals, Chiefs, 3 o'clock Eastern, AFC Championship game is Saturday. Uh, so, or Sunday. I'm, so I'm off. I just got off the Saturday schedule and I was finally <laughs> ready to be back. I got to get used to saying Sunday again. 3 o'clock Sunday at Arrowhead. Uh, we, we've got that going off and there's a lot going on around this team. We just got done talking to all three coordinators. We talked some players yesterday. Um, so the, the matchup is starting to set itself up after the insane weekend topped off by one of the greatest games you'll ever see last night b- between the Chiefs and the Bills. So off we go. Bengals are, where are we at? We're at seven point dog, but a lot of early money on the Chiefs. So I would expect that line to maybe grow a little bit as the week goes on, at least right now, um, if you're judging the markets, as uh, some like to do. Let's dive into some questions. Okay, uh, let's try to start. Let's see how it goes today, Jay. Uh, let's bring <laughs> in, uh, let's start with Jerry P., who I have right on top here. Jerry P., how are we doing? What's up, gentlemen? Who day? Who day? How you hey, doing? Hey, Jerry. Doing great, guys. Doing great. Uh, what an incredible win on Saturday. So what's so impressive about this Bengals team is their amazing trait of making plays in the biggest moments from Eli Apple, Logan Wilson against the Titans, Jermaine Pratt against the Raiders. Even that play from Burrow to Chase with 20 seconds left, that is a big time NFL throw. And this team is just all heart. So much fun to watch. And, and they're up there with the with the 88 Bengals as to um, the personality on the team and, and just they, they show up in the biggest moment. So uh, my question guys is what do they do differently to protect Burrow this week? Do they uh, keep a tight end in the backfield to protect, maybe put in Fred Johnson instead of Prince? Um, they've got to do something differently. I was surprised they, um, they didn't switch things up and, and, and keep some more protection in there on Saturday. Uh, so that's my question. And then lastly, we need some behind the scenes Nashville story, guys. Um, I know it'll be a hard to beat Mo Egger's story with the salad lady, but if we could hear some, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, thanks. Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate it. I'll, I'll start with the serious question and then, uh, Jake can offer, he, he's got definitely more stories of behind the scenes Nashville protection. I mean, it's a question of the week, right? It, the thing is, I, I went back and, and you, know, you go back, you rewatch Tennessee, you rewatch the Kansas City game from week 17. You know, in week 17, while there were, I believe, 22 pressures on Burrow, four sacks, it wasn't an abomination. There was pockets. There's a reason he was able to throw for 446, you know, 
that there is a there's a reason for that. I mean, he had a lot of clean pockets in that game. He was able to more easily work out. And the difference is, I Tennessee turned out to be a way worse matchup than anticipated for this reason. They are a more powerful pocket collapsing pass rush. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is so big and strong and such a bull in there that he constantly collapsed the pocket and so did the outside guys. But what they didn't do that a ton of teams do is they didn't run past Burrow. They focused on containing him and not letting him sort of use that superpower of his pocket mobility and his pocket presence and then sneak out to the side. They just weren't going to let him do that. And, and as much as he kept trying to, uh, he couldn't do those moves that we've seen him do a million times. Instead, the pocket just eventually totally collapsed on him because that's the, that powerful style that really it all started with Simmons, but everybody in some respect were able to use. It's a terrible matchup for these guys who just interior are not good enough and not strong enough. And so Kansas city, while Chris Jones is amazing, he's amazing for different reasons. He's not the super powerful pocket collapsing Dude, that and that can just plug everything up. They relied more on pressure in that game, which it blew up in their face a bunch. And they rely on Jones using his sort of technique to kind of get in there. And then there are other guys too on the edge were were not quite as dynamic in that game um, as some of the Tennessee guys are. So for that fact, it's I think you just kind of revert to that a little bit and say if the pressure can just look like it did in the first Kansas City game, maybe it's a little bit better matchup for that. You don't have to worry about it as much. Also, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling into this because I'm literally, in case you can't tell, I'm in the middle of writing a story about this and, and kind of really deep in the weeds. But you know, they've been more successful in empty than people people say, oh, God, empty, don't do empty. They have 17 snaps in empty in the playoffs and only one sack, as opposed to, I believe, 67 dropbacks. Uh, in anything else in 10 sacks, you know, getting it out quickly, having the extra guys out on the perimeter for bro to get it out of there has been really a key. Tennessee just blocked a lot of the quick hit stuff uh, out of empty. You know, they got the long ball, the the long catch and run and chase out of it. Um, I think that's something that you might see more of if it really starts getting crazy, maybe a little bit more of, of that stuff. Um, and getting one-on-ones. But at a certain point, if you're just getting whipped at your front four, it's just hard uh, to, to do much. You've got to protect. And so personnel, you know, I, I think the, the leash is at the end with Hakeem Adeniji. I think mean, that this is, it just continues. And at some point, I think they're, I think they're more open to potentially Jackson Carmen coming in there and seeing some time because, you know, you just have to do something. How, Jackson Carmen's so inconsistent. But at some point, you just can't watch identity just get backed up into the quarterback or whiff or whatever over and over and over again. And I think I think that's going to be on the table this week. Yeah, two quick things on the protection. Um, the last two weeks, they played teams that were at the bottom of the league in blitz percentage. Uh, the Chiefs are number eight in blitz percentage. So that is, I think if, I don't think you see tight ends in the, in the backfield. I think you see, um, the Mixon and P. Reiner are more adept at picking those up. I remember Sample missed a blitz pickup in that Cleveland game at home and about got Burrow destroyed. Uh, the other thing is it wasn't all 
guys getting whipped. There were there were assignment errors. There were communication errors. And to any any road environment is loud, but nothing is loud like Arrowhead loud. So I think that's another thing to be concerned about. So they are going to have to come up with something to slow them down. As far as behind the scenes, my favorite story from Nashville was they the band that we saw had a sign up and they they took requests, but you had to pay for the requests. And there was a Bengal fan standing next to me at the front of the stage, and he paid $100 not to hear the band sing a song, to take the microphone from the singer and do the Who Day chant with the entire bar. And that There were a lot of Bengals fans there, and it, it went off pretty well. <laughs> uh, there were no shortage of Bengals fans, that's for sure. And, and a lot of them spending hundreds of dollars at a time. I can... <laughs> To that it was a good good weekend for the tourism industry in Nashville. All right, let's uh let's go down the line here and uh let's see Robin A bring uh Robin A up onto the stage. How are you doing, Robin? Ah, hi there, Paul. Hi Jay, how you doing? Doing good, hey, Robin. Yeah, not a local as you can tell, but I've been a fan for thirty five years. So uh, yeah, currently bouncing around in the UK and uh, very happy, even though the nights are getting later and later. Um, uh, my question um, I've noticed over the last couple of weeks so when we played the Raiders there was a narrative in the media of the 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 key thing was that we can't block block Max Crosby we just it's going to ruin us and yet we actually managed to get through and overcame that last week the um Kind of like that. It was all about Derek Henry and the fact that oh, Derek Henry's coming back, and we're going to struggle with that, and we overcome that. I'm just interested what you think the the main narrative is going to be in say the mainstream media about this game that we're going to need to actually overcome to kind of like pull out a result. Well, uh, number fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's. I think that's it. It's the same. It's the same narrative that is for almost anybody that plays the Chiefs team. It's how the heck do you possibly stop Mahomes? Especially, you know, I find it. It's really interesting. I retweeted something from Aaron Schatz over at Football Outsiders. I, you know, anybody that reads our work, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for what they do over there. They do a great job. And he was talking about how there's just the whole public is just so on Kansas city and he, you know, it just feels like everyone views it as this totally massive upset if the Bengals were to win. And a lot of that is because you just watched a weekend where the Bengals looked what they, they had issues, you know, nine sacks and still managed to win. And the chiefs looked great, right? They, they put up points in 13 seconds and they were very chief, like an arrowhead and all that stuff. And I think part of that is, an appreciation for so much of the narrative is spun by the offense, what looks great, what looks exciting, but not as much through the lens of defense. What was great defense? What, what really changed things there? And so for that fact, it's always, it's going to be the Bengals have no shot uh, because Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are so good. It's just so odd and so rare for people to be so deep into that camp when it was only, it was like this month. It was this month that the Bengals beat the Chiefs at Paul Brown Stadium, and it's different, and a lot of things happen in that game, I know, but uh, it's uh, wild how much it's just thought that, oh, yeah, you know, bet they're going to run past the Bengals here with, with no issue. I mean, they just beat them, but, uh, you know, the public doesn't quite view it. It's, there's a recency bias in the way everybody looked this weekend offensively. And there's, like, uh, selective... 
I don't know what you would say. Just people are so enamored with what Patrick Mahomes did last night. They kind of forget what that Chiefs defense looked like. I mean, I'm not, I'm not quite putting Joe Burrow on Josh Allen's level yet, but he's not far away. And this offense, if they can get a little bit better in protection, there's no reason to think they can't be in the thirties again, like they were against the, the Chiefs. The game in Cincinnati, like Paul said, this month, it was just three weeks ago. So I, I do, I, I, I'm surprised and, and maybe it's the, the Mahomes wow factor. Maybe it's the fact this is the fourth straight time the Chiefs have played the AFC championship game at home. They've been, to, they've been to back to back Super Bowls. The, maybe the, the national narrative isn't quite buying into the, the, the why not us? This is not a plucky underdog team anymore. The Bengals think they're legit and they're out to prove they're legit, but it, the, the, the national public is a little slow to catch on. And a seven point, a seven point spread is, is fairly large for a championship game. It is. You know what I've already done, Jay? My favorite thing to do. Uh, the, the history of championship games that I did, I think I did the last 20 years as my filter. Uh, where the team, any team, is a six to nine point dog, and how those went. It is not as a uh, as happy as la- last week's results were. Looking at some divisional games with similar type odds, um, it was two wins in thirteen games or something like that, and a whole lot of actually a lot of decent amount of blowouts um, yeah. going the wrong way. So it's not. It hasn't had happened often that teams overcome this kind of this type of national narrative or perception in the markets. But I think that, um, you know, this isn't college football. So the good news is that doesn't mean a damn thing. Uh, they're going to they're, no matter what the narrative is, no matter what uh, Michael Irvin yells or Stephen A. Smith. Uh, decides to scream into a microphone uh, or anybody says about the Bengals, they're still going to line up the same way they would and go play. And it's funny. Like, I mean, I don't, the narratives are funny to me as the entire world learns who the Bengals players are right now. Like we joked about that in the middle of the season with the, the Uzama thing. And now like people talking about the national media, who's this Evan McPherson guy? And it's like, Oh, we're going to really go down this road. I mean, do we need to just trot out stories from all year? Those of you that listen to this, people that have been around, I mean, you, you, you know, you know, the bank, but it's just so funny to see everybody kind of learning about, Oh, here's these, look at these good things. The Bengals have actually done to get themselves to this point. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of been the thing around here for like a year, but that's just the way it goes. When you win, the narratives change. And so you change. The Bengals are changing the narrative. And so those things do change. If they go in here and beat Kansas City, no one will ever say that about the Bengals again. You know, you, you change everything as if they haven't already kind of changed it. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. All right, let's, uh, let's keep rolling. David F., is here uh, on top, David. Let's uh, bring you up on the stage. What's going on, David? What's up, fellas? I'm uh, I'm calling in from Boston here. I um, you know, I was watching the game uh, on on Saturday, and you know, we 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 were. It felt like we were having a really hard time getting pressure on Tannehill. But then watching the game last night, I mean, I I couldn't tell the difference between Mahomes and Allen at times with how much they were willing to scramble. I mean, what's our answer on defense to contain a guy like that, right? Because, I mean, now that 
we know he's going to be able to beat us in ways with his arm, but now he's showing, I mean, and he, in ways he's done this all year, but he's showing he's willing to, to, to put his body under stress and make, you know, he had the rushing touchdown, the 35 yard scramble. I mean, who's our answer on defense to contain? That's a great question. It, it, I was so amazed. It, it wasn't just his ability to scramble. He just, he has this crazy innate feel back there where it, it's, it, it, there's like there, there's two ways he could go to get out of trouble and he always picks the right one and you see one might have looked like the right move either stepping up or sliding left sliding right one might have looked like it was the right move and you see someone come through and, and you realize if he had gone that way it would have been trouble it's just i i, I was kind of struck by that same thing just how much how many plays he was making with his feet and josh allen too i don't know if you put a spy on him um if they if they kind of take the the approach they took in baltimore that first game against lamar jackson and 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 go with three linebackers and and really try to contain him he's not the threat that lamar jackson is you know he can do it but he doesn't do it as often. Um, it is. It's going to be one of the more interesting things to see is is how they're going to to attack them. If you remember back to the the first game against Kansas City, they were they basically said if you want to run the ball, go ahead. They gave up I think 156 yards in that game, and they were focused solely on, on limiting Kelsey and Hill, and they did. They did a great job against those guys. Um, so you, you're just you're always wondering what where the wrinkles are going to be. What what's going to be new. What, what are they going to go back to? It's, they, you know, it, it's a division game. You're playing a team twice in three weeks. This is what you see a lot of times in the regular season with a Ravens, Steelers, or Browns rivalry. Yeah, I think, you know, you're worried about how you're going to stop Kelsey. And the big shift that happened last game was exactly what you said, Jay, was, all right, just enough over the top, enough of Mahomes throwing over the top of us please, please hand the ball off. Like we are just, we will allow eight yards per carry, you know, almost, it was almost like that. Uh, and it, cause I think they did <laughs> for the most part of the second half, but it caused the game to look different. It changed the dynamic and they were able to, to catch Kansas city being impatient at times to get stopped. And as far as keeping Mahomes inside, you know, I think with history with Lamar and some players like that, they, they do have, it's kind of what I was talking about earlier with collapsing the pocket versus rushing past. They've been pretty good at that. Guys like Hubbard and a guy like Reader is perfect at collapsing the pocket, bringing it in, giving them nowhere to go, trying to keep them contained and not running gaps open. And they did a pretty good job of that last time. There were a couple times when he got out and made plays, and notably the one where he gets out right before halftime and throws 189 yards in the air or whatever it was across field uh, <laughs> that, that got knocked away by Von Bell. I mean, that's the stuff that Mahomes can do when you let him get out. But that was one of the few times you really saw him totally get out in that game. I think you continue to go with that game plan in a lot of ways and and focus on contain rush just like you would against some of the other more mobile quarterbacks that they've gone against. And they, they have said some success like none are like Mahomes. He's a unicorn. But, you know, that's just part of it. Man. You just got to limit it. You're not going to totally stop it. You just try to limit it from happening too much. All right, let's go uh, next here. Let's bring Kelsey S. up onto the stage. Kelsey, how are you doing? I am good. Thanks for bringing me up. Um, I just wanted to say before I ask my question, you know, I so I'm from Cincinnati, live in New York City. 
Now, um, and what's been the craziest part of this for me is just seeing all of the Bengals fans, you know, come out of the woodwork. You know, obviously <laughs> we're an NFL team. There, there are so many fans, but, you know, outside of Cincinnati, you don't typically see Bengals fans. And like, uh, so like the main Bengals bar there for this game last weekend, there was a line down the block, a two hour wait <laughs> to get into this bar. Um, jeez. Oh, like it, it just insane, you know, jerseys from 20 years ago. Everyone's coming out of the woodwork and it's crazy and um, awesome. Um, but my, my question kind of revolves around, you know, the, the defense, um, you know, the last couple of weeks, the defense has finally uh, started forcing turnovers. Um, you know, I know that there's been a lot of discussion about Tannehill and Tannehill making some bad decisions, but, you know, um, I think that two of those interceptions, you know, uh, Hilton just made a great play and then Eli Apple got in there and, and hit the ball up and made, and made a good play. Um, you know, so I, I don't know the necessary, you know, the defense is finally, um, doing that. And is that just luck? Is that them being more aggressive? Is that, you know, have they made a change? Um, uh, yeah, that's my question. It's a good one, Kelsey. I, I'll say this. I mean, I just have been really impressed with the way the defense, I mean, this is not, I don't, this is not luck. I mean, think about this. When Jesse Bates got his pick, my first thought was I was thinking all week he was going to get one. He's been so close lately. I mean, he has been just one or two plays away over and over again, dating back to the most notable drop at, at the end of that San Francisco game that he kind of beat himself up about for a while. And I just, guys like that are starting to become playmakers. Hilton making that play is just a player being a playmaker. And I mean, Eli Apple had a drop of a pick of Patrick Mahomes in that first game that, you know, how many times does he drop that? You know, he probably catches that 75% of the time. Um, you know, it's, it, they're putting themselves in position a lot um, to, to make these plays. It's, it's not that fluky. They're looking for them. And I do think uh, in Kansas city, you're extra aggressive. Because you know the value of turnovers against Kansas City because it's probably your best chance of actually stopping them. And you do play a little bit more aggressively, particularly in this kind of a situation. And I expect to see that. And they've done that pretty successfully. With And the other part is, I mean, you put your other team in spots. I mean, when 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 you have a team, I don't, I still don't quite understand exactly what uh, Tennessee was trying to accomplish there on that final drive. Uh, I have theories that uh, of how bad the, of a job they were doing. But... Uh, you know, the fact that you're a team is in a spot where Ryan Tannehill feels like he needs to throw it that far down the field uh, late in the game lends itself to you making plays the same way the situation the Raiders were in lends itself to Jermaine Pratt making a play, things like that. You know, I, I think it's a combination of playing from ahead, which they've done ever since they sort of, you know, opened it up against Baltimore. And, and you know, the defense under taking advantage of some some plays and, and a lot of them they've left on the table, which I, I think is a big part of this too. They're, they're in the right position to do make some of this happen over and over again. I don't expect that to all of a sudden not be the case uh, on Sunday. Yeah. I just had a couple items on this. My, my final thoughts column just went up a little bit ago. And um, since the bye week that the Bengals are plus eight in turnover differential, I mean, they were, they were minus all year. And since that bye week, they are plus eight. That's the fourth best in the league. Uh, the Chiefs are first in that time frame at plus 12. So once again, this is going to be a, a game determined by those turnovers. And the thing is, the, the, the Chiefs aren't doing it. They are turning teams over. They're doing it by not turning the ball over. 
They haven't committed a turnover in five of their last six games. It's just been, it's been, and they had none last night in that crazy game. Um, and it is, it's, it's, it's a mindset. They have been focused on it all year, but you're just starting to see it pay off. A lot of it is what Paul said with the, the, the playing from ahead more often. And a lot of it is just guys flying around the ball. You, you talked about the, the Eli Apple pass breakup that Logan Wilson intercepted. If Logan Wilson isn't there, Jermaine Pratt intercepts that ball. And if Jermaine Pratt and, and Logan Wilson aren't there, Trey Flowers intercepts that ball. And, or maybe Eli Apple does after knocking it up in the air himself. They, they, that ball was getting picked no matter what. There were so many guys right in that area. So that's, that's what you need. You need guys flying to the ball. You need guys holding up runners and punching and ripping the ball out. Jermaine Pratt is great at that. Um, that, that's how. You slow down a Kansas City offense. That's it, I, you just kept waiting for that last night. That the, when's the one turnover come going to come? That's going to swing this game, and it never happened. Neither team turned the ball over. I don't think that's going to be the case in the championship game. I think we're we're going to see a turnover or two that's really going to dictate the outcome of that game. It's hard to see a world where the Bengals win this game without a turnover or two. I mean, yeah. I don't really see one. I mean, that's, that's, it's going to have to happen. That's just the only way you win a game in Arrowhead in, in this spot. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's keep going down the line here. Bring Robert K up. Uh, Robert K up on the stage. What's going on? Got me guys. Yeah. Yes. Paul J. Thanks for having me. Love the content. Uh, what a big relief. Uh, just two quick questions for you. Uh, what records or curses do we have left outside of the big bogey of the Super Bowl? And then two, has the team done enough yet, or do they still need to do something further to get a practice bubble? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Robert. Uh, let's see. Kurt, I, what I love – Niners are still in play. I mean, wouldn't yeah. it be great? Wouldn't it just wouldn't it just be so fitting if you end up with Bengals Niners part three? And uh, what I love was the immediate response that so many people had when I tweeted that, and that was, yes, but this time we have Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. And and it's so true. <laughs> they, they have Joe Cool this time. And you, you feel like you're on the flip side of it. It feels so different. I mean, I think the four the Bengals 49ers would be the uh would be the big boogeyman out there at, at this point. Um, the practice bubble. I mean, I, I don't want to waste people's time uh, going into into the weeds on the practice bubble, but it, it has a lot to do with that stupid hilltop concrete situation and the deal that was made there. I think there was ideas that that would be part of the practice bubble solution, but that stuck and everybody in the county is tripping over themselves. Tell me if you haven't heard this before. You're not going to believe this, but the place that still hasn't quite finished the banks between the two stadiums, whose leases are inspiring right now, uh, is uh, stumbling over some things a little bit. Uh, so until I think until that clears, um, is you're not going to see the bubble. But hey, we've we've now been sold that the bubble is an advantage that it makes these uh, <laughs> tough players. So apparently, uh, they think it's an advantage now. Although I think if you uh, gave some truth serum to some Bengals players, they would happily tell you uh, it is it is not. I think at some point it does happen, but they, I think the hilltop thing is, is the issue in place right now with that. Yeah, I, I think the comment that nobody complained 
about practicing in four degree, four degree weather is a little bit far away from an advantage, (laughs) (laughs) but it is, it is. I mean, it's, it, there's something too that you, they, they play that that the Raiders game was going to be so cold and you practice in it all week. I, I, there is something to that as far as records and curses. I, they've been a number one seed before, but both times they were a number one seed. They were, they were 12 and four. I don't, I don't know if we're going to see 12 and four be a number one seed anymore. It, 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 feels like you have to this year aside you have to really get up so that's the best record they've ever had is 12 and 4 so that would maybe be the next little clip hill to climb before climbing the big one and winning a super bowl would to to have a 13 or a 14 win season or more okay so, let's uh let's keep going down the line here uh i'm gonna pluck from the middle here and just say let's go to chris g chris you with me two two years into the pandemic i still don't know how to use these uh <laughs> So I appreciate y'all taking my call. I'm calling from Louisville. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of things I thought about with the, the nine sacks. And obviously that sounds like such a huge number, you know, first or second time in history, those kinds of things. But one of the couple of things I noticed, it was it, to me, the, the ratio of sacks to turnover worthy throws, right? Burrow, you know, maybe instead of taking a sack, he throws a ball that's into, into triple coverage. And, you know, all of a sudden now they're, you know, get four turnover worthy throws and, you know, he throws two interceptions where even the interception he threw wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily on him. Right. So it felt like, you know, sometimes maybe taking a sack is better than a, a negative alternative. Um, and then one of the other things I noticed, or at least I thought I noticed um, a lot of the sacks came on first and second down. It felt like, like a higher number than usual. It wasn't like you were in third and nine and taking a sack. It felt like you was first and 10. And I was, I guess at some point I was surprised maybe the players did didn't hold right. I mean, if you're first and twenty is better than second and seventeen. Not that the coaches are going to be coaching that, but it just it just felt like maybe at some point if you're if you're Hakeem Adeniji, maybe you'd you hold on to the guy. So you know that's a better option again than the alternative. Um, but the question I had ultimately was about the number of hits, the sacks. Um, I think I saw the number was thirteen hits in total, and I was kind of curious if you know I don't follow hits necessarily on a week to week basis, but obviously nine sacks is a lot. Is thirteen hits a lot? just to kind of see the total physical impact that Burrow actually took, um, just kind of irrelevant of how many sacks he ultimately took. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah, for, for comparison, he a, a sack does count as a hit, so it was four hits beyond the nine sacks. And uh, he, he took 51 sacks this year and 102 hits. So it was kind of a, a, a two-to-one ratio there. Um you make a good point about the the sacks being early. I don't. Some of those were communication errors. So when that happens, it's it's not going to be a case where anybody's even there to to commit a holding penalty. But you're right. It was it was six of the nine sacks happened on first and second down, and Burrow completed his very next throw after all six of those. And and on all of their scoring drives except the final one. He took a sack somewhere at some point on those drives. He was able to overcome them. And I just, I think that's kind of to your point about the turnover worthy plays. I think that's a, a big part of, of what goes into him thinking and you deal with it, thinking he can extend a play and make something out of nothing that he's not just going to panic and enforce a ball into, into coverage. He's going to think he can get away from those rushers because he has done it so many times and, and, and opt to make the play that way, as opposed to just 
chucking a ball up there and, and praying. Um, it's nine is a lot and they, they cannot keep giving that up, but there were, there were so many other things that, that played into that. And, um, I do think that is a good point that sometimes it's, it's better to, to just go down and take that sack than try to force a ball somewhere, especially first and second down. That's a great That's, point, Jay. And, and, you know, the turnover word you play is are really what kill you more than the sacks. The other part about it is, you know, it's just while, yes, there was 13 hits and nine sacks, you're talking about um, an offense that when, when they gave Burrow a clean pocket, mm-hmm. I mean, it was it, very explosive. <laughs> and and it, was, it was really dynamic and able to move the ball. And the sacks killed so many drives and all of that. But, you know, at a certain point, like – if Burrow's willing to take it and he wants it and Brian Callahan sort of told us like, I mean, there's going to be a point that's going to come in his career where he's going to realize he should probably stop taking all these hits, but he loves it now. Like he wants it. He doesn't, he doesn't view football as something where he shouldn't be out there taking hits. He likes taking the hits because he feels like the payoff is worth it for when the clean pocket comes or when he's able to scoot away from it. And so that's why you don't see him throwing the ball away where he, maybe there are some spots that he should, but you know, you you ride that line at this point. I mean, there are two games from the Super Bowl. If you don't think Joe Burrow is not willing to take some punishment to try to get his team to the Super Bowl for the chance that he's going to shake one guy and get out there and make the game-changing play, you're crazy. I mean, it's part of what he is. It's part of who he is. It's part of the type of player he is right now. Now, is he going to be the same player when he's 35? No. But for right now, it's a big part of who he is, and, uh, and that's just – part of it sometimes i think there's going to be games where there's going to be a lot of sacks especially when the titans rush in in the way that they did and not letting him get out um that's that's a big part of it all right one more before we get to natasha who i see here from hawaii who is our closer every single time so we're gonna go let's start here first i'll go to uh gary t gary are you with me i'm here can you hear me hey gary hey gary hey Thanks for taking the time here. Great content. I have one comment and one question. Uh, my comment is, I can't remember the year, but it was a couple years ago when Bengals had Dalton and Lewis still there, and they played the Chiefs, and it just looked like, boy, they're in a different league. And I'm glad as a Bengals fan I can now say it looks like they're ready to compete. And win or lose this coming Sunday, it's good to see the Bengals turn the page and now they're a really competitive team, so it's awesome. Uh, my question for you, more for the writers here, is um, I've always been thinking about this phrase called um, when a team knocks somebody off. And in my head, I, I feel like if you knock a team off, it must have been a team that was, you know, favored by a lot of points or whatever it is. But oftentimes I hear it used in situations that doesn't match my perception. So I'm coming to you experts to hear your take is the term knocks a team off. Does that hold the same value to you as it does to me? Hmm. I haven't really thought about that. I, I mean, you, you upset plays, whether it's a, a one point spread or a seven, anytime a, a team that's not favored wins, that's an upset. Um, I, I would, I don't know. I feel like you can knock anybody off. You, you don't have to be a big underdog to, for it to count as knocking them off. I think that it goes back to knocking them off their pedestal and it it should be a really good team, but I think it's kind of transformed to the, to, to acceptable usage on, on any occasion. And one thing about that chiefs game that you're, I think that was the 2018 season 
Um, it was. It was 2018. And if you remember, that game was flexed into Sunday night football. The NBC <laughs> thought this is going to be a really good game. And it was 45 to 10. And that's right where the, the whole tailspin started. That, that kind of was the beginning of the end of the Marvin era. I have a thought on knock, knocking somebody off. I agree with you. It comes with the idea of the pedestal, but the image that also then comes into my head is like, you know, some some big boss and some high rise accounting firm or something with beautiful views out of behind him who's just like angry and he's got stuff on his desk and he just tosses it off in frustration right <laughs> it's like, like get these things off my desk. there's a, like knocking them off that way that i think of where it's like okay it's not always necessarily the pedestal sometimes you just knock them off these little things that are in front of you so i think it can go both ways I'm not a big knock them off fan. I don't know if I've used it. I Maybe somebody could do some sort of article search on me to see if I have. I don't feel like I have, but uh, that's more the vision that I probably have now, less of the, the pedestal. But I think it can go. Uh, I think it can go both ways. Um, all right. Let's uh, go. Let's let's finish it off here. Uh, you know where we got to go. We got to go to Hawaii to get us all to a nice, calm place. And bring in our great friend, Natasha B. Natasha, how are we doing? I see you on stage. Are you with me, Natasha? Uh-oh. I'm not hearing the ocean, Jay. It's making me less happy. I was oh. hoping for steel drums this time. <laughs> maybe we go with a different... Natasha, she's off stage. I don't know. Maybe, uh. didn't have, maybe there was a problem. Oh, this makes me sad. This is no way to end. We can't not end with our soft ocean waves over hawaii oh all right well i'm gonna put some pressure then for somebody to come up here and equal the equivalent of hawaii beach so aaron b it is on you aaron to come up here and calm our nerves a little bit aaron how are you doing i'm good how are you guys doing great aaron um if so i'm in columbus ohio i do home health and i'm driving and uh, i'm driving on snow and it's great so that's where (laughs) <laughs> That's Listen, where I'm a right snowy now. road in Columbus is not quite on par <laughs> with the Hawaiian <laughs> beach, but I appreciate the attempt. It's the effort that I appreciate. Um, so I've been trying to ask this question. I got kind of two questions. One you probably can't answer uh, for a couple weeks, but my kids ruined it. Um, anyway, the first one is Jay. I noticed in your article, I think you interviewed Marvin. Um, and this has been kind of echoed here lately that Mike Brown said, you know, all Mike Brown has ever cared about is winning. Um, like my question is, how is that possibly true? (laughs) And then my, um, my second question is, you know, you hear McAfee kind of going off on stuff and even here in Columbus, like James Laurinaitis would talk about it a lot. Um, just about how the Bengals, like the, we'll say amenities for players, uh, is always so poor, you know, obviously there's no indoor and that kind of thing. So my question would be like now, how does being a Bengals player compare to most other NFL teams? And uh, that's all. Well, that one's hard to answer because we're not around most other teams. You you kind of get you can kind of talk to players when they come in and, and talk about differences, but to, to really get an idea of of what the the amenities are at, at other facilities, that's that's hard to speak on. And I think the thing with Mike Brown is yes he wants to win he just go one has always tried to go about it a different way this he is not a jerry jones or a daniel snyder or one of these guys that have made their money elsewhere the the Bengals are the family business and, and you always have to 
you always have to operate that way. And people can disagree with, with how he spends the money and the approach, but I don't think you can ever question how much Mike wants to win. He, he is more involved with that team than, than any owner. And you hear players and coaches talking about it all the time. How many, how many teams have a, an owner that's out there on a golf cart at every single practice. I mean, Mike is, is very, very involved. He's very loyal. Um, his approach may not be what other people want, but it's, it's really easy to spend other people's money. And, and he's the one that he has to look out for the family, the family business and, and do things the way that, that he thinks are, is appropriate. It's, it's, it's not just as easy as go spend everything you possibly can and do everything in that regard to try to win that Super Bowl that's been so elusive and kind of mortgage the future. They're never going to take that approach. There is a difference between wanting to win, it being your life, the pursuit of winning and being good at that. Yes. Uh, and and that's the, the, the thing here. I mean, it's he's it, they haven't been good at it. In the end, and Michael is admitted, I mean, a stubborn guy who believes in his ways and set in his ways. And that's kind of what made, you know, Elizabeth Blackburn kind of a revelation for a lot of things because she was really one of the few people able to come in and get Mike out of his ways on some major off field topics. Cause Mike believed that off field was unimportant and not a part of, you know, what matters to the franchise. It's about, football and playing football and, and that's all in this team and that's what matters and, and and so you see things change in that way a little bit but I mean I think that's just it's a lot of it's just that's just sort of who who Mike is um and amenities I mean you know this place will never be Dallas it will they would you won't have the star if you've seen the drone shot or or any any hard knocks behind the scenes from uh, what their facilities are like or what LA has, um, you know, all, all of these places, they need to be more like those places, but they'll never be that. I mean, you know, that's a part of it. And you know, I, it's, it really is hard to speak specifically on changes with player amenities because we're not specifically inside and around. It was easier to do, um, when you were around it every day. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, they have they've come a decent amount of way and people feel like, you know, whether it's sports psychologists or the right medical staff or, um, you know, you, you name it, the stuff that, that does matter. Some of these players, social media people uh, and content people, because players care a lot about that type of stuff um, that help put their image out there. I mean, they, they I think that has come a long way, but um you know, they're never going to be one of these massive big market machines. Uh, that some of the other places are, that's just not necessarily their way. Um, all right. Thanks to everybody uh, for jumping into the live room. We'll have uh HTPG back tomorrow in our normal time slot. And we'll start going in on Bengals and Chiefs Sunday. Of course, we'll talk to Nate Taylor this week and have a ton of content up on the site, as you might imagine. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. Have a good one, everybody.